Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of It's Personal. Uh, the last book I wrote was heavy. All right. Hey, Gary. This is Evie. Uh, my name is Randy Rebine. Uh, but my name is Jared Krizoska. I don't think I'm a person that curses a lot. Heart just goes out to everybody. I'm excited. Awesome. Hi. Everyone. My name is Neha Sopi. Um, I'm an educator. I'm an administrator. I am a uh, doctoral candidate, scholar, writer. Um, I've done some poetry. I feel like I can, I think I can still say I'm a poet. <laughs> um, and I am a transformative justice practitioner. Awesome. And you know what? I always, once a poet, always a poet. Like, yeah. you're writing, <laughs> you, you, you enjoy words, you enjoy writing things on paper. Like, you're always an artist in, in a way. Exactly. In a so, I appreciate you saying that. Uh, Neha, I'm so interested in your story uh, in so many different ways. I think mm -hmm. the first thing that comes to mind is just like the work that you do around education. So can you tell me a little bit about your um, current job and like what does that position um, kind of entail for you? Yeah, definitely. So um, right before COVID in September, um, I got my admin license and I was really lucky that a new team opened up at the Manhattan Borough Office, actually at all the district office, uh, borough offices in New York. I'm in New York. Um, and it's called the Academic Response Team, uh, which it had, you know, uh, whatever that name is. I, <laughs> it's like they were joking that we were Voltron or something. I don't know. It's, it sounds very like uh, we're going in and we're disrupting, but I, uh, you know, I was lucky because the team was formulated to be kind of a more radical contingent in these borough offices. So we were, we were really, you know, part of the interview questions was how comfortable do I feel talking about race, which I had, you know, it was shocking to me because I have been studying and talking about racism since I was 18. Um, so, and it's never been popular. <laughs> and for so, you know, and in the last couple years, it's become popular to the point where people are asking about it. It's actually an asset, you know? I feel like before people would be like, oh, you're a little bit of an instigator, right? But now it's become an asset. So I actually got this job because of something that I feel like has been very challenging about uh, something I bring to my work. But anyway, so what I do is uh, we go, we have a caseload of schools and we, we do school improvement work. So we, we go in, we talk a lot to a lot of people, we visit classrooms and collaboratively with the principal and the leadership team that often includes all types of staff members. We formulate a plan for improving the school environment or their academics. Um, and then in some way we support that plan. Um, and so we kind of do that in six to eight week cycles. And so it's been really cool to go from the classroom, uh, being in the same school for seven years, and now seeing schools all over the city, meeting all types of educators. I mean, I feel like every educator should get this opportunity. <laughs> every single educator should get this opportunity to improve their practice by visiting so many classrooms all over their city. Um, or even all over the world, kind of like your mission for this podcast, right? Mm -hmm. um, because I feel like I need to go back to the classroom now after a year and a half of doing <laughs> this. I just feel like now I'm, I'm such a better educator for it. So I've been really thankful in that way. Mm -hmm. Of course, 
Um, it comes with working within the bureaucracy of the Department of Education of New York City, um, which comes with its challenges, but, uh, you know, I, I feel grateful. I feel grateful for how much I've learned. That's yeah. awesome. That's awesome. And I don't know a lot about, like, the education system in New York. Um, I enjoyed New York. Like, I, I've been there a few times, and I enjoyed the city. Um, I know it's a very fast city. Um, I know there's a lot of young professionals there. Um, Neha, can you tell me some of the roadblocks that you may have encountered just maybe living in New York City or in your mm -hmm. current job? <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess in my current job, which is kind of the roadblock that we face as educators, which is, um, I, I often feel like I things are not changing fast enough because <laughs> we have a really big liberatory vision for how we want schooling education to look like mm -hmm. for students that look like us, for black students, for indigenous students. We have this big liberatory belief and value system around what that needs to look like to be mm -hmm. what it needs to be for families, for communities, and especially at this position, I feel like when you're in a school, you know, you're working on your community <laughs> and it's definitely not moving fast enough at all. Um, but you feel like you have uh, access to impact <laughs> more. Totally. Um, and working at this type of level, uh, it just feels like you're up against you're up against the beast that's perpetuating the beast of white supremacy. You know, you're, you're in the mm -hmm. belly of the beast of white supremacy. And, uh, you know, and people aren't, people aren't really ready. People aren't ready. Um, but I think, yeah, so that's kind of the biggest challenge. Like, how do I meet people where they're at while staying true to my values and, and really pushing while also you know, keeping my peace, healing, healing myself, making sure I'm not burning out, making sure that I'm getting what I need out of my job, which I, which I really think a lot of educators of color don't even consider because, you know, they're pouring their heart into their work. They're pouring their heart into their classroom. They're pouring their heart into everything that they do because they see themselves in their students. They see themselves in the struggles that their students are facing and they're in the parents that they're facing, the communities that you're working with. So you're pouring all of this into your job and there's just not enough spaces for us to step back and be like, okay, but what do I, what am I getting out of this stuff? You know, mm -hmm. what, what do I need right now? Um, can I take a moment, you know, can I get some support? Because often we're carrying the work, especially mm -hmm. when we're in workspaces that are predominantly white, which is, which is what happens in the United States. Um, I'm not sure what it's like where you are, but same in the United thing. States. Exact <laughs> <Okay>. same thing. <laughs> in, international school, right. still white. So keep, yep. Wow. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, and, you know, and I even grew up in, in white spaces and went to school in white spaces. So, you know, there was, there's just in my life, there hasn't been a lot of opportunities to to really get to know myself outside of a white space and um and to heal outside of a white space so you know i that's that's obviously been a, a large struggle as well um 
keeping my peace, <laughs> keeping my peace, mm-hmm. making sure that I can stay in this struggle for a long time, um, mm-hmm. you know, my whole life, just move the mm-hmm. dial a little bit um, mm-hmm. and don't burn out. <laughs> no, and that's you know it's funny because that's that was my next question. Um, yeah. And they have we need we need you like we need you as an educator. We need you as a voice. So what do oh, educators Thank do you. um to help themselves not burn out? Like what are some things you are doing to help yourself um find that that space in your head in your life where you are yeah resting, mm. sleeping, reading, whatever it is. What are you doing? <laughs> I don't know. I'm figuring it out as, you know, as <laughs> I haven't figured it out. I, I definitely haven't figured it out. You know, I hear from a lot of educators. Whenever I talk about it, I hear from a lot of educators, like, thank you for seeing me. Like, because mm-hmm. it's such a pervasive problem in our system, because I even think the healing spaces and the anti-racist and the, you know, diversity and inclusion spaces that are supposed to be healing for us are actually traumatizing us because of how they've been created. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, what can, I feel, the, you know, so given that reality, <laughs> that it's not going to come from above, we mm-hmm. can't, it's, no one's going to be giving us the healing spaces, right? Like, because, because the bureaucracy, the racial capitalism, they don't want us to heal. That, that's not part of the mission for teachers to be healing themselves and, edu- and people of color to be healing themselves. That's not part of the mission. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they want us to be worn out. So part of that is just recognizing, okay, I can't, I can't be asking for these spaces. I have to create them. And I have to create them in my own life. And I have to create them uh, within my school for other educators of color um, because no one's going to create them for us, sadly. Um, and then I think something that's just like battling with the guilt of it, right? Like, I think what's part of what stops us is that there's some level of guilt that we're grappling with um, for taking time for ourselves, for taking time uh, to heal ourselves, to rest. Because we are, it, it feels like such a desperate um, need for us to pour more and more energy into our work because like I said like we see ourselves in the struggles that of our students we really see ourselves so it's it's a desperate thing we're almost like saving ourselves as we work with our students sometimes it's so personal like I remember one of my really good um, uh, friends and co-workers at my old school we would cry she's a black woman also a math teacher we would cry in the hallway sometimes, like, we aren't doing enough, right? Like, that type of just, we're not doing enough is is so deep. And so, and I, investigating where that comes from, that feeling and healing that a little bit. Um, and I think the other thing is just find your people in your space, whoever that is, who sees you, who really sees you those people and really build relationships and community with them because mm-hmm. that's where you're going to be able to heal right if if you can find even one or two people that can be your people in the space that you're in um to vent but also like really deeply build relationships and healing together then that's going to be that's going to be a game changer for you because if you feel alone if you're like the only person uh that's going to be really rough i would say quit and find another job because it's just that's 
that's a really hard thing that I can't even imagine, you know, not having even one person. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And I, I think it's so important that you, you mentioned that we have to be careful with the spaces that who creates the space and where the spaces are mm-hmm. when we're thinking about healing. Um, for me, yeah. I think it's, yeah. it's just like, I think you talked about it a little bit earlier. Um, it's just, I think therapy is super important. I know it's not, um, we yeah. all don't have access to it, obviously, um, based on a variety of reasons, of course, but I think it's definitely an option um, if it's there, um, if you are willing to. I think that it's difficult sometimes for people like me, at least, to um, put myself out there and like accept that I need to go to therapy. Um, and that's been a journey for yeah. me this year, and that's been something that I've been really trying to lean in on and use as, I don't want to say fuel, but just to like heal myself from a lot of the things that have been going on, um, different yeah. mindsets, the different work that I've been trying to do. Um, but I think your words are so important. I think it's it's really key for us to really find the things that we um, need to, to continue the work. Um, and whether that is slowing down, whether it's finding support in a friend or a family member, whatever it is, because we need to be healthy. We need to be energized to, to do the yeah. things that we do. It's just so, it's so important. Um, yeah, I'm going to switch gears just a little bit. Um, so okay. when we were talking earlier, you mentioned, um, I don't know what to call him. I, I want to say fiance. Um, <laughs> can, you, can you share a little bit about him um, and your guys' journey when it comes to um, just being together? Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, yeah. So we were teaching at the same school together. Um, we were really close friends. Um, he is he is Black Dominican, um, and he is a phys ed teacher. And at the time, he was a dean at my school. Uh, and I don't know. We just we were friends for like three, two, three years before we got together. Um, mm. And we were really good friends. <laughs> I don't know. We were definitely flirting. We were in a, we were in denial. <laughs> but you know, I was just in his room all the time. I just felt like we could we connected at some kind of really deep level, even though our backgrounds were totally different. We we grew up in totally different environments. I grew up in suburban Texas. And he grew up in New York City. Like totally different. We you know, uh, but there's there's just something between us that's just deep. Um, like we've mm. known each other our whole, our whole lifetimes, you know, yeah. like there's just something, there's just something there that's just undeniable. Uh, and I think, I think the best part of our relationship <laughs> to me, <laughs> to me is, well, no, there's so many good things. I don't even know. Uh, it's so crazy how I talk about him. I'm like giggling, <laughs> but, um, yeah, w- one of the best parts of our relationship is that we just have a humor together that no one else gets, like this very childish type of humor that I just so value in, in our relationship. Um, like we can just joke about, we can just joke all day about mm-hmm. nonsense and mm-hmm. it's beautiful. Um, you know, once I got into a relationship with Omar, uh, I just like that aspect of unconditional love is something that's so beautiful. And once mm-hmm. you find it, it's like, I'm never letting this go. I'm never letting this go. Like it's, it's beautiful. You just feel seen. Um, mm-hmm. 
you know, through the fights, through everything, you know, there's mm-hmm. this, there's this, you see each other and you're, you know, you know. Yeah. I love that you're both, we again talked about this before we came on. I love that you're both into education as well. Um, yes. My wife is a teacher as well. And um, yes. yeah, it's so, it's cool to be in the same worlds, obviously. Um, and just to get each other on that level. And then on top of that, to be together all the time it's just it is beautiful it really is mm-hmm. and my wife is from a different background as well so we have so much in common we i know to, we're gonna hang out someday I know, gonna, yeah. <laughs> I know i can't wait to meet you guys honestly i feel like you guys we're gonna be such good friends <laughs> we will we will be good yes. friends i know we yes. will and i just have one more question for you um okay. and this is simply about interest and i think based on the work that you do, I think it's important that um, I ask this question because I think this is what some people ask just from the audience or from the guests as well. Um, What are you like reading right now? What do you do in regards to the work? How do you find your resources? Um, What Mm -hmm. can you share with the audience in in regards to um, helping them learn more about the work that you do? Okay. Um, I came prepared for this question (laughs) because I know. (laughs) All right, so some books that I'm reading, all right. Um, First of all, I discovered Buddhism when I was 20, uh, but in a white space. So I really needed some healing around that. A lot of healing, because as I said, a lot of the healing spaces, especially even the ones that are centered in Eastern practices, (laughs) like, you know, have been colonized. And if you're growing up in the United States, you know, a lot of, a lot of, these practices like yoga, meditation have been completely co-opted. So a lot of the spaces are white and that's where we learn our ancestral knowledge. No, no, no. So I really appreciate this work, um, Radical Dharma. And uh, Lama Rod Owens came up with came out with a new one recently also. That's brilliant. Um, so this one's really about healing, liberation in the context and doing that racial healing. Um, and then this one I haven't read, but I'm really excited about because I've heard him speak. Uh, My grandmother's hands. Have you ever seen this? It's also around mm-hmm. uh, um, racial trauma and healing from our racial trauma. And it even has like some exercises that you can do in it, which is amazing. And then of course, if you're, you're if you're interested in transformative justice, restorative justice, um, Miriam Kaba is like the guru. Uh, so this book just came out and it's going to be like the whole, you know, this is going to be like the mantra of the movement. So uh, this is an amazing book. And then other than that, it's like I learn by being in community with other practitioners because we all um, we all approach the work differently through our own lived experiences and it means something different to all of us. and because it's such an organic process and it's so um, based on the community that you're in is what it looks like, right? So mm-hmm. just being, being get, getting access, because restorative and transformative justice has also been colonized and co-opted by uh, white, white institutions. And so you want to make sure that who, who are you learning these indigenous practices from? Are you going, are the people that you're learning it from indigenous? Are they uh, black? Are they 
other people of color, right? Like, are you going or if are you learning it from and this organization is all white? That's like a huge red flag that they have completely co-opted this movement because these are deep seated indigenous practices grounded in the values and paradigms of indigenous communities. So you can't learn that unless you are getting it from the root. Um, and so you want to be really careful and like one organization that I've been following and, and working with closely is Amplify RJ that I think is great, but there's so many organizations out there that do great work, but you just want to make sure like, are you, are you being in community with people of color? Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because it's a, it's a totally different thing. It's a totally different thing. So I give You're that awesome. You're awesome. I love how you came prepared. Of course you did. Educators always come prepared. You can never like, fool I them. I going to ask me what I've been reading, and I, I'm so bad at, you know, I'm so bad at details, so I, I, I can't prepare. Educators. All educators are always like I one know. or two steps ahead. I love it. I know. Neha, where can people find you online? Okay, so on Instagram and Twitter, I'm at Neha Joya. Um, N-E-H-A-J-O-Y-A. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. That was so fun. Uh, that was so fun. That was I'm so, so good. Fun. I was so excited about this. This is it's so good to meet you.